welcome to Beyond the Plates, Industry Talks by Le Cordon Bleu. In this podcast, we get some real insight into the food and hospitality industry from a variety of renowned chefs, industry experts, and Le Cordon Bleu alumni. Join us as we hear the fascinating stories and unique experiences behind some of the best known names in the industry. I'm excited and honored to welcome a member of the dynasty who transformed the classic food offerings to a new high in Britain. A dynasty who transformed the British gastronomy seen by producing arguably some of the biggest names within the culinary world. It's my pleasure to welcome Chef Alan Rue to this conversation. To give you a bit of a brief bio, Chef Alan Rue, son of late Michel Rue Obi, continues and elevates the illustrious Rue cooking dynasty. After an apprenticeship in pastry, Alan spent seven Seven years working hard in some of France's most notable kitchens, joining his father's legendary Thameside restaurant in Bray, Berkshire, the Waterside Inn. Alain worked through the ranks before becoming joint patron with his father in 2000. And a couple of years later, Alain took over the team and leads the team today. And since 2000, Alain has been a master patissier in the International Association Relay Desserts, ranking him one of the only 100 listed best pastry chefs in the world. With his unique heritage, offering world-class French cuisine and outstanding hospitality, the Waterside Inn has a global clientele and a stellar reputation, gaining its first Michelin star in 1974 when the guide was first published in UK, a second followed in 1977 before the ultimate accolade in 1985 when the Waterside Inn was awarded the three Michelin stars. Today, under the leadership of Alain, it remains the only establishment in the world outside France to have retained those coveted stars for 36 years and continuing. Thousands of chefs and front-of-house staff have trained and been inspired by working in the kitchen and dining room during the 48 year of illustrious history at the Waterside Inn. And since 2016, Alain has been the co-chairman of the Rue Scholarship alongside his cousin Michel Rue Jr. Alain and Michel took up reins from their fathers to lead the world-renowned scholarship, a beacon of British talent. And right now, Michel and Albert Rue, they are pretty much promoting young talented chefs and enhancing their reputation on the world stage. And this has been in the making from 1984. This scholarship is pretty much UK's premier chef competition with an excess of 50 young chefs entering every year. Many hundreds of young chefs have been inspired and influenced through participation. Many of its scholars have since gone on to win mission stars of their own. The top prize offers a unique opportunity to train for three months in a three-star Michelin restaurant of the winner's choice anywhere in the world. In 2018, Alan and his late father, Michel, opened two stunning new restaurants, Rue at Skindles, a French-style brasserie upriver from the Waterside Inn at Taplow Riverside in Berkshire, and also a brasserie Prince by Alan Rue at the Balmoral, a flagship Rocoforte hotel in Edinburgh. Alan is also a member of Royal Academy of Culinary Arts, which is Britain's leading professional Association of head chefs, pastry chefs, restaurant managers, and suppliers all along. Chef Alain, welcome to this conversation. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Without further ado, if you can just talk about the Rue dynasty and Waterside Inn, there's a huge legacy and a huge history which is heaped in. So if you can just give us a bit of a background, please. Yes, I could talk for quite a few minutes or hours about the family and the legacy. So how far shall we go? 
I mean, in a nutshell, mm-hmm. we can talk obviously about our grandparents and especially my two grandma, my mum's mum, which was a very good cook, lived in the countryside, really influenced me a lot because she used to grow her own vegetable fruits. She had uh, chickens, rabbits. She had it all in the back garden and lovely markets in the area she used to live, which was northeast of Paris. And my dad's mum, she was a fine cook and she could do any good recipe with the cheapest cut, especially with meat. And being from Charol area, my dad used to love eating beef and especially uh, with a glass of good wine. So yeah, my, my mum used to cook the whole family, uh, my grandma, fresh, fresh ingredients, fresh food. And it does, you know, influence uh, even the next generation. My uncle, my father, they obviously their work was always in the kitchen, running restaurants. That's the way I, I knew them. They uh, always wearing their chef jackets, basically. And the water side in, well, it must be the second or third restaurant that my uncle and dad opened together. And that mm-hmm. was in 1972. And they opened it and used to run it together as a team because they worked together for about 16 years as, uh, you know, brothers and, and they were partners and they set up many restaurants together and they used to share the work, you know, from the work of going to the market to doing the recipes, the menus, training the staff, finding the staff and even uh, taking the orders. So one used to be very often in the kitchen and the other one used to be in the restaurant on the floor taking orders and they used to change that way. That's why opening Le Gavroche was the first restaurant and the water side in followed about five years after. That was in 1972 and in 1983, I think, they worked apart. That's when they decided to separate and stop working together. And my uncle stayed at Le Gavroche mainly and mm-hmm. took over the restaurant and my father at Waterside Inn. And that's that really worked full time at the Waterside Inn. It didn't take him long to, to pick up the, not only the second, but the third star, uh, which was in 1985. Only recently I joined uh, in 1992. We managed to work 10 years side by side in the kitchen and the other years, well, dad worked in a different way, a step uh, away from the stove and we just run a family business. So how many chefs or waiters have we uh, seen through our doors and trained? Many quite a few hundreds, I have to say. We are a team of still between 60 to 65, depending on the time of the year, but that's roughly the number. So yeah, massive team. And I think that's in a nutshell, the legacy and more about that and, and the water side in really. Thank you very much for giving that perspective of the dynasty. Um, you joined in 1992 at the Waterside Inn, but you had a very good, solid foundation in terms of your training in your formative years in, in La Cosse Saint-Jacques, uh, in Joigny and Restaurant Pic in Valence. Would you be able to just give a bit of a perspective on that aspect? Yes, I mean, it's, it's very important. Training and, uh, is very important because that, that's where you really learn your basics and the foundation in any job is important. It's important to try to find the right place. Um, no job is perfect. No place is perfect, but you can see different things, learn different things. That's why it's good to change, not too often, not too quickly, but it's good to travel as well. And La Côte Saint-Jacques was great. It was a, a family business, so it did a 
opened my mind and got me ready a little bit as well to go to work in a family business like the Walter Sidon. And it used to be a three Michelin star at that time with the father and the son in the kitchen in a beautiful region in Burgundy. Speciality of, uh, again, good meats, very good beef and lovely snails, lovely wine, very nice wine in that region of France. And yeah, I had a very good training. You used to be a busy restaurant, a, a lovely hotel, uh, very big. We used to cater for about 150 to 180 covers of service in those years. It was quite extraordinary, you know, to cook at a free Michelin star level for that amount of covers. It was yeah, a challenge. Every service was a challenge every day and it was a big eye opener, a lovely experience. So I was lucky to work in different restaurants, some very small, some very big, some with one star, two stars and three stars. And I think it's nice to see a variety of things. It does help in the future. You never stop learning at the end of the day. Even now, I, I still learn. The young people will teach me things. So my colleagues will teach me things. Even if you know, you've been working at the waterside for five, 10 or 20 years, you still learn and you share things. It's one of the beauties of our job. It's uh, endless. Learning is, you're never there. Thank you for that great introduction of how you entered into this lovely world of gastronomy. Now, let's just talk about the restaurant Waterside Inn. Would you be able to elaborate on the food offerings you give there, other offerings, which is part of the Waterside Inn experience, per se? We're not that complex, but saying that we might still, for a restaurant that's been running for many years, I think we're still up to date. You know, we don't stick for with just one menu, one tasting menu and nothing else. No. We offer a variety, a good variety of choices of dishes. So we have a tasting menu, which is not massive. It's only about six courses or seven, if you could uh, call a, a little appetizer. But our portions at the end of the day, they don't work when they're tiny. And it's not the style of the family. It's not my style to have gimmicky food, just one spoon in one plate, especially mm -hmm. when it's a large plate. It mm -hmm. doesn't work with what we do. We cook food, which is tasty food. And normally you want to have a couple of spoons of it or, or a mouthful of it. So yeah, we do normal portions. So family portions. And yes, the tasting menu, we change it every season. It gives a good uh, idea and a variety of what is the best at the moment in the waterside inn. Mm -hmm. And a la carte, well, we, we offer as well a variety of starters, about six to seven starters minimum, a few vegetarian uh, dishes or vegetable-based dishes, which mm -hmm. normally will run to about at least three to four dishes. And the uh, main courses, we have a selection of at least three or four fish and the meat normally around five to six meat and dessert is the same it's between six to eight desserts on the a la carte that are proposed and uh, what about the other offerings you provide there a bit of a accommodation as well at the same time Yes, we are a restaurant a with rooms. We have uh, 12 bedrooms. We still like to call ourselves a restaurant with rooms because I think to call ourselves a hotel, because the main building is about just over 100 years old, it's kind of difficult to have standard of hotels that you would see or you would go uh, these days, not only in the countryside, but especially in the city. They're very high tech, top of the, the league in, in uh, all what is uh, to accommodate the guests. Uh, it's not a question of uh, the main hall, it's the lift, it's very spacious. 
We have got more rooms which might be for one or two nights stay. We want to really focus on our restaurant and the room is, I think, a good place to have a little extra experience when you come and visit us. And mm-hmm. like that, people who travel, they don't need to drive back home or drive back to the city. They can stay on site and uh, have a lovely fresh breakfast, as you can see, in the morning. Great. We do have some questions coming all the way right now. Uh, yes. I think it's better I ask some of the questions which has been pouring in. One of the questions from Sally. Chef, what do you feel is the most important thing in your father and uncle instilled in you? I think it's respecting your peers and respecting your team members and all person. It's not a question of, you know, the washer up or the gardener or the doorman. Everybody is important. You don't need to have to work front of house when you're backstage or even for our bedrooms. We have young people who will greet and take our guests to their bedrooms. So when they check in, they are the like the first contact, the reception side of things, or even the person who does our bookings because we still do things manually. It's not all by computer. There's a personal touch in what we do. And I, I think you, you have to realize that the team is so important. You can't achieve something like that just to learn with one person or with a handful of people. Every single team player is extremely important. I think what they've taught me is is respect and be a, a good team player. This leads me to another question which probably sinks in what, what you're saying right now. Tom is asking a question, why is Bray a magnet for great chefs? I guess it's coincidence, which I think has been led by uh, the way of people's life and the way of the businesses that uh, have changed, especially with pubs, because uh, there's always been pubs in Bray for many, many, many years around the country, across the country. We've seen and we're still seeing, unfortunately, a lot of pubs are closing down or disappearing. A lot of them are changing into being more a restaurant or a gastro pub. The Waterside Inn used to be a pub. The Fat Duck used to be a pub. Caldesi is uh, the same, was a pub. We still have The Crown, which is still a kind of a pub, but a posh pub. When you have one Michelin star, you're talking, you know, uh, you're a gastronomic uh, high-end pub. So that was a very traditional pub in the old years. So you're talking about five, six, six pubs in a very small village. So I guess, yeah, it's just coincidence and Heston uh, got the opportunity uh, to follow uh, the Rue family uh, because I, I think he must have been here now so, for at least 15, must be 20 years he's in the village now. It shows that there is space for everybody. We all do something different. At the waterside, we can look ourselves as being a French classical style food. Caldesi is a lovely, tasty Italian food. The Fat Dark is, as we know, is more molecular and, and creative food. The, the hindsight is, uh, I think, uh, modern British. And you have the crown, which is uh, more a good gastropub, the mm-hmm. best fish and chip, certainly of the village. Chef, have you had any significant failures that have taught you something important? Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think all of them, even the slightest mistake or problem that you can encounter in your work or in your life, that's what you have to, to look at is you have to learn from it. The best is to try to avoid to do it again or encounter that again, but you have to see positive and to make sure you can learn out of it and understand why and what to do not to have it happen again. 
Before we move on to the next segment of it, uh, there is a question from Anthony. Over the years of legacy from your fathers to yours, have you seen the consumer's taste uh, which have changed? You know, bearing in mind, Bray is an area which has been a center for culinary excellence. You've seen for the last 20 years, I'm sure there is a lot of consumer change which has happened within the taste aspect of it. I think it's kind of always been and it will always be. That's why, you know, you can't only work for your customers of course that's the most important thing but uh, I think when you are good enough you can try to uh, influence and bring forward your view your style and you can as well educate customers uh, or make them understand what you want to offer what you want to bring if it's uh, whatever type of journey it, it will be we do see different experiences in our uh, restaurants these days and nothing new I I think my, my uncle and my father, they've always done that. They've managed to follow up, you know, live with their time. They've changed their style because of their feeling, because of their vision about cooking. And as well, taking into account the customer's expectation, their taste, and yeah, their like and dislikes is very important. And I'm just doing the same. I, I try to, you know, there's always as well the fashion. Who would turn away from the fashion? You always have, I think, to take into account everything or as much as possible. And after that, it's your person that has to choose a bit more here and there or a little less here and there. That's how you can, I think, manage to bring your personality, your personality and your style. Thank you very much for giving that perspective on the change aspect of it and also the offerings of Waterside has been doing. Now, moving away from Waterside Inn, I, I know you've uh, had some commitments elsewhere and different projects which came around and uh, the Rouette Scandals, the Brasserie Prince. Is it possible if you can just put a light on those projects? Yes. Well, the Rouette Scandals, it just happened. It happened where we had an opportunity uh, to uh, buy the site, or my father, I should say, because uh, I couldn't afford uh, such a site. It's a place which was renowned for a few centuries, to be honest. Uh, it was a, a very uh, lovely hotel, restaurant. It even had a nightclub and underground swimming pool. It's a place that got a history of, you know, greeting uh, Churchill to the uh, Rolling Stone to all the royal family. It's seen it all. It used to have as well uh, the best pop singers there. It had high days and it was unfortunately a place that was closed for about almost 20 years and was falling, just falling down. And a promoter managed to, to buy the site, rebuild it. And we just grabbed the opportunity of starting a, a business with my father together from scratch, which I'm, I'm glad we did because it's the only really restaurant that we worked from scratch together from nothing and opened. And it, the idea really was to be able to not have have a water side in number two. It was to have just upstream, 10 minute by boat, and you're looking at the same uh, 10 minute by car. A little place where, you know, fresh, young, chic, modern, uh, but with food, which is food that uh, is brasserie food. Of course, influenced with French uh, dishes more than anything else, but a little bit of uh, other continent uh, taste or flavors here and there, discreetly, gently. A place where you can eat one dish 
you don't need to eat two, three or, or five course uh, meal. You can go there for one salad or one soup and uh, a food that you can enjoy every day, you know, comfy food, so very classical, mainly French dishes. No expectation. It's, it's not a place where I would uh, want to, to have a one Michelin star rating. You see, we even do cheeseburgers, you know, uh, all homemade, of course, but it's simple. You know, you can have snails, frog legs, the little gougère, uh, little cheese uh, shoe buns. It is simple, but fresh and tasty food, even breakfast on the, the weekends. Yeah. A very polarized offering from what side in? Very different. There shouldn't be any star ever there. Mm. It's, it's, you know, good good food and, and a young, gentle, friendly service. Yeah. Great. You know, we do have a lot many students who are in the pastry program and they would be very interested to kind of get this aspect of it. You are the master patricia in the International Association Relay Desserts. If you can probably give us a bit of an insight on the role, what you do, and it's a very limited number of people who are enrolled in this coveted uh, body of 100 chefs, I believe. It's an association which is uh, actually celebrating 40 years. Yes, it's a, a French association at the start and uh, maybe eight or ten years after starting that association, a handful of French pastry chefs became international. I would say there's a, a good half, almost two-thirds of pastry chefs which are French. It's an association, it's, uh, you can apply, but it's mainly as a, an invitation almost. It is regarded to have the best pastry chefs in that association. I don't know if I uh, agree with that. Maybe it's because I'm part of it, but I'm very happy and very, very proud to be part of it because I started like the rest of my family working as a pastry chef. That was my apprenticeship and I've never left go of desserts and pastry. I've always managed to keep in touch and joining that association was almost a dream. It certainly helps me to keep in touch with my pastry chef colleagues in France and around the world. I mean, unfortunately, so far, we've only got uh, William Curley based in London, which yeah. is uh, who, who is part of the association of Relais Dessert. I mean, yeah, there's, there's the likes of, you know, in that association like Pierre Hermé, the cream of the cream is there. Right. Well, this leads to one question. Jeff, do you have any insight into how you build connections and networking within the industry as a beginner? Any tips from your side? You have to try to open your eyes and your ears really wide. Try to open your own door. We have to see as we have to live in a safe way and certainly work in a safe way. Even, you know, talking or sharing experiences or point of view, a few words sometimes can, can help. And uh, I've, I've tried to do that since the first lockdown. On top of that, uh, at Skindles, we, we're doing some takeaway. So that's still keeping uh, me and uh, a few of my team members busy. You have to use uh, anything that is happening on, on the internet uh, as a, um, a way of, of network. But again, you know, um, I try to communicate. It's important to keep in touch uh, with your people, or with friends, and you always meet uh, new people. Sometimes it's through people who come and eat uh, at uh, our place. Sometimes it's people who come and work and they will make me meet some of their friends or some of their ex-colleagues. And sometimes you meet people by just walking and having a, you know, a walk in the village or in the area. So, yeah. 
Thank you. I would like to kind of take a little bit of time on talking about the coveted Ruth Scholarship, the formation, its inception, the idea behind it. Yeah. Uh, if you could just give us uh, insight and probably a scope of how the present structure, how the format is, and number of alumni who have graduated uh, as part of the scholarship. The Ruth Scholarship started uh, in 1984. So the first scholar was Andrew Fairley. So it's a scholarship that was started by my uncle and father all those years ago. And it's really based on being a chef's competition. The format hasn't really changed that much. There's always been a, a panel of judges. There's always been a selection made from a written recipe that we have are followed with a, like a first cook-off, which we call the regional final, and the final, which is the last bit of the competition where out of the six uh, best chefs from the beginning of the competition, they get to compete in the final, and uh, one of them becomes the winner and becomes uh, the Rue Scholar. So ever since, we, we've had a scholar and you know them all I'm sure Martin Carabot, Luke Selby, Harry Guy, Ian Scaramuza, Tom Barnes, Paul O'Neill, Adam Smith, Mark Bishaw, Kenneth Cullen, Ricky Desai, Dan Cox, you've got Andrew Jones, Simon Luston, there's even Sad Baines, Frederick Foster, Steve Drake, Andrew Garrett, Steve Love, Trevor Bliff, who's in Japan, Jonathan Harrison, Chris Colmer, Mercy Fenton, Patrick Thompson, in that list, some of them have not only uh, progressed uh, in such a way that a lot of them are running their own restaurant and they're earning their own stars. I think uh, they are the elite and they are the next generation. It's really something that uh, originally my father and dad started and had the idea of doing that because they were upset to see that young British cooks were not able to work abroad in Europe, especially in France. The French uh, restaurateurs, they used to receive CVs or letters by candidate. They were just about open that they were in the dustbin. Uh, there was no interest, no consideration. And I think that was something that was very, very annoying because they couldn't understand that the young British talented chef, well, the young chefs had talent and were uh, had in their own right allowed to work and learn and show their skills around the world. So they've managed. It was uh, from day one very much recognized. Uh, each scholar does choose to enter a free month stage in a, a free Michelin star restaurant of his choice from around the world. And wherever the scholar has chosen and decided to go, we've only had to ask. We've never been turned away. So I think things have been showing that it was a good move. And I think that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to help the young generation and to try to open doors to those young chefs. I've seen some of the scholars like Sat Bain, uh, who has come around and now becomes a part of the judging panel. If I'm right, if from the picture I see. Exactly. I mean, the panel of judges doesn't change too, too much. Uh, I mean, we've got uh, our vice, uh, you know, president, which is Brian Turner. But uh, now, of course, we, we've taken things in hands with my cousin, the two of us. But we have very little changes. We like to work uh, with a, a team of judges. We are very kind to be committed to do that in their uh, goodwill and free time. And the li likes of... Uh, 
you know, Claire Smith, uh, Rachel Humphrey, which is uh, the head chef of Le Gavroche, uh, chef uh, James Martin, Andre Garrett, which is another Rue Scholar, Simon Houston, which is another, another Rue Scholar, and we, we have on Angela Hartnett. So, yeah, we, we have, a, I think, a, a lovely uh, selection of, uh, of chefs to judge uh, the competition. Yeah. Thank you for giving that understanding of the Rue Scholarship. It's just a, a prestigious thing in the culinary world and something this is we cannot get amiss for the, in this conversation. Now, uh, a question here, Chef. How do you approach making sure the whole team at the Waterside maintain mission three-star standards at all times? How do you make sure everything is so consistent? The consistency. I think, uh, you know, the quality of the work and the consistency, that's what we look at. Because it's, it's very difficult, I think, in, in our days, in, in, in our world today, and it's been a few years like that, where I don't think for any chefs to really understand or to be able to say, this has got the level of uh, one star or two star or three star, is extremely difficult. I think what you can say is if something is good or not, or if something is outstanding. Yeah, consistency and, and try to do your best. It's uh, not a question of every day. It's a question of every service. It's a question of every table. And it's a question of every plate. And I think that's something which is maybe very difficult even today for the young generation is to understand that they need to be ready to do things not only a hundred times, but a few thousand times, if not more, to be able to say that you know how to do it and you know how to do it damn well. Perfection. If you want to learn how to do things, not only the speed counts, but the quality. To get the technique right and to get the quality, the standard of food takes time, takes years. And you have to do it for years. I think a lot of people think they may be too good because they, yes, and I agree, we have possibility of doing things to a very good standard these days. It might be a little easier, but saying that, everybody can do that, but for one shot, one day or a few weeks. But no, when you do something, it's for a lifetime and you still have to look at doing better progression. If you think you've, you know it all or you've done it, I personally would stop. I would take uh, my retirement. Well, on that note, the Michelin stars, again, continuing there, how important are the Michelin stars to you? And holding on to the three stars, it's, it's a lot of pressure. Do you fear about losing one? Uh, yes, I mean, the, the water side in has got three stars since uh, the Michelin Guide of 1985. So that was uh, re rewarded for the year that was 1984. So we are on 39 years uh, nonstop on a row holding the three star at the Waterside Inn. I've only been here for a few years. So, you know, every year, yes, the guide comes out and we know that we could lose it because, and, and we've seen it for many years, some restaurants get one star, two star, or even three star. And we even see it these days with, uh, you know, not only the, the Iberlin or, or the Lorrain family at La Côte Saint-Jacques or Paul Bocuse, you know, restaurant. Mm -hmm. There are places which will uh, lose what they have. And every restaurant, you know, the things are not for life. I know that. I don't only live for the guide. I think every year, yes, there's times where I think about it and I worry about it, but I won't, you know, be stupid about it. 
I think it's a, a great world. It's one of the best guides out of a few. Yeah, it's one of the best. And it's a, a recognition for the team. It, and even, I think, uh, I might even disagree with some of the people uh, from guides and, and Michelin Guide as well, maybe, because I think a restaurant is all about food, but as well about service. And service is as important. And if I look at a, a restaurant, yeah, the, the setting is uh, important, but what is the key element is all about the food and the service. And some restaurants, they might have great food, but the service is let down or, or they don't want to do too much on the service. I, I think the three star, we, we've had them back this year again for another year. And it's a, a reward and well-deserved award for my whole team. It's not only me. A, a restaurant is not a one-man show. But if we lose the star one day, you can blame me. <laughs> well, you're creating an army of professionals around the world. One of them we have at the Cordon Bleu. We have our own. You're very lucky. Chef Eric Bidet. The imprint has just not restricted to Waterside Inn. It is it's a global uh, imprint at this moment of time. Exactly. I mean, I'm so proud and I've seen, obviously, Chef Eric Bedia joining the team here when he was young. He's still young, but he was very young at that time. And he, he worked his way through the ranks and he was, you know, number two in our kitchen here. He's done so well. And on top of that, he's got his own personality, his own style. But what a hard worker. And what a great chef. And I'm so pleased he moved at Le Cordon Bleu in London a few years ago because it's not far away. He still lives locally. And uh, it shows, you know, we are in a business where we can learn and we can work in so many different places. But there's a variety and, and working as a tutor or a chef lecturer is great. You know, there's no second job. Even I think what he's doing now as a, a chef lecturer is maybe harder than what any chefs uh, or what I'm doing here. And, and he's sharing his not only knowledge, but his passion and training people. And uh, very, very proud. Yeah. And I think you're very lucky to have Eric. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So what does the future hold for Waterside in? Any projects you're embarking on, any other projects apart from Waterside, we'd like to know a bit more of, we would like to snoop on. I will uh, carry on. I think like in the family, we, we don't seem to like the word retirement. We like to keep busy and what we do is our life. We don't do a, a job. We just live for our business. You know, my view is just continuing. That's what I've done since I'm, I'm here, is uh, learning, training, teaching, and sharing, having a great team, and obviously keeping the, the business going, which uh, it never stops. You always have things to update. You always have things to uh, change. I think it's good and important to, to see it that way. It's uh, a building which is mainly the main part is well over 100 years old. There's always maintenance to do, upgrading the bedrooms or the dining room. And we've done, and we're still doing during uh, all those uh, lockdowns, we're having work done. So we're trying to improve, e even if it's minimal. We want to continue and, and keep the, the place at its best for many years new project mm -hmm. we will see always open there's always something new something different to do 
I will see. Yeah, I never close my door to new things. Even if uh, sometimes I'm very busy, I always find time when uh, I want to do something. Great. And how do you think, in your perspective, the COVID-19 pandemic, the post-COVID era, is looking for gastronomy from your perspective? I think people will just go out as soon as they can. I think every type of business will be busy. Things will go back to normality in, in such a way of the business, in, in people going out and spending their money, I think quicker than what we would think. Now, still would be limited by uh, the rules and, you know, we have to be cautious with all our risk assessment to make sure that our customers are safe, our team are safe and our family back home are safe. We might not have as many uh, people in the next few weeks or months uh, uh, after reopening, you know, tourists or travelers, but, you know, we'll do with what we have, which are the, all the British people. A lot mm. of them are going to travel and do what they can, where they can. That's why I think restaurants are going to be doing quite well. I'm not too, too worried. So before we wrap up um, in the... You know, we have we are almost 60 minutes into the conversation. Any advice from you for the aspiring chefs, especially during the current times, how to approach the job ladders and entrepreneurship and other aspects of getting into the wider gastronomy? I think it's important to try to set a plan if you can and, and review your plan when needed. But uh, at the short term and the middle term and a far away goal, what you want to achieve and what you want to do in your life, in your working life, try to be open-minded. Don't try to hit the bar too high too quickly, especially when you look at a chef, a cook. A kitchen is a kitchen and you can learn great things in a pub. You can learn important things in a gastropub and in a one Michelin star restaurant as well. Sometimes it's better not to hit the bar too high and it's maybe difficult to start in a two or in a three Michelin star restaurant. A step at a time. It's better to learn. Take the time to learn. Open your eyes, your ears, look around as you work and progress. It's better to do it that way, I think. You need to know how to do things to be able to teach and show other people one day. The other way around doesn't normally work very well. Thank you. Thank you for that advice. I'm pretty sure there will be quite a few who would have taken that tip on board and would have thought about this. Just before we finish off, there is a question, a sneak peek on your life here. What do you usually yep. cook for breakfast? <laughs> I, I get some kind of cereal or granola, so I'm quite uh, healthy on that matter. And uh, just finish up before I run to work is a fresh coffee, really. I think breakfast for me is normally a, a treat if I look at a, a cooked breakfast. I love those who are taken standing up when you go shooting is a party. Uh, you can't beat that. Otherwise, yeah, a cooked English breakfast anytime with a good sausage, good black pudding and a few baked beans and a, a good fried egg. I love that. I think that's a proper breakfast. Thank you. Um, there's another few questions coming in as well, but I, I think it is something which is quite relevant to the times we are living in as well. How do you view and adapt to the new trends of vegan, gluten and dairy free in the patisserie and cuisine arena? 
I think it's extremely important uh, to live with your time and, and as we've seen it and it's not a question of just fashion that they are unfortunately I think a lot of people you are choosing for more uh, medical uh, reasons their choice of food habit or preference and way of eating but as well you know I think a lot of people are thinking that they should be reasonable and I think nothing wrong with that is important it's good if you can even look at that and try to avoid to eat too much meat or eat the wrong fish at the wrong time of the year as well. Vegetables and being a vegan or creating vegetarian dishes, I think it's extremely important because you have to look after your customers and we have more and more customers who are demanding or requesting that, that those kind of dishes or food and yeah, we've I think improved. I wouldn't say I'm specialized on vegetarian or vegan food, but I think I am offering a minimum few choices, even on the a la carte. And I love eating just vegetables, nothing wrong with a vegan dish either. But I do try to think of my guests who, who are, for some reason, vegetarian or vegan, that they, I do have something in offering for them. And I think every restaurant should do that. I think that is increasingly becoming one of the, the most featured thing. It's more of a, a lifestyle now more than a trend as such. Yeah. A last question before we wind up this amazing session. Will the Waterside Inn be accepting stachier for students after the restrictions are lifted? And this is something which we have already spoken about. Maybe we will be... Yes, we, we do take a stagiaire, trainee. Always we try to cherry pick them because as you, you can imagine anyway, I can tell you the reason why is because we do have a lot of requests from a lot of catering school, a lot of um, people who want to enter our kitchen for a short time, a short period. One of the issues that we, we have is it is a small kitchen at the end of the day with a lot of chefs. We are a small place, but a busy place, not only in the restaurant, but in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And to have people that are only there to look or to do very little is difficult to have too many. I know some restaurants, I don't want to be nasty or rude, but the majority of their workforce are trainee, not because they're not paid, but they're very little paid normally. But I, I don't want that. I, I want my people to be like my family and I want them to stay with me a long time. Saying that, I do have more or less one trainee all the time, sometimes two. So it's not a, a no, but it's a yes, but very, very few throughout the year because I like to make sure that it's going to be valuable for them. Not only valuable for the, the house, for the team working here, but it needs to be valuable for each trainee, each stagiaire, that they can uh, work there, partake, they can see what's happening and they can benefit from it and learn a lot, you know. Hopefully, we will have, you know, some uh, young or old student from Le Cordon Bleu because there's no age to learn, even I learn, that will, uh, you know, apply and that I will be able to uh, greet at the waterside. So you're more than welcome to ask a request. It's never a definite no. It's a no, but we always try to look at possibility in uh, eventually in the near future. Great. Thank you. Well, I think we have taken a very good uh, 60 minutes of your time for this session. Uh, Chef Alain, thank you 
for sparing this very valuable time. I'm sure this session would inspire quite a few, as it's done to me. And uh, we look forward to collaborating with you and hopefully welcoming your uh, presence at the Codemblo London. I would love to. the situation settles down a bit, for yeah. sure we'll be definitely inviting you. I've, I've been once to do a demonstration a few years ago and I had a great time. I follow what Le Cordon Bleu School is doing. I think it's great, the opportunity and what you offer. I know we're at a time where things are very difficult with the COVID, the pandemic and all that. But, you know, I want to congratulate the students because they're still keeping in touch. They're finding the motivation to uh, continue and to work mostly from their home, from their rooms or whatever. But, you know, keep the morale up and uh, keep on uh, studying hard. Okay. I'm sure we'll soon be all back in the kitchen. I just hope we can uh, cross each other and meet each other soon. I wish you a good luck to all the, the Cordon Bleu students. Thank you, Chef, once again. Thank you all. My pleasure. Thank you. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Plate, Industry Talks by Le Cordon Bleu. Keep up to date with all our news and episodes by following us on social media or by signing up to our newsletter. Links are included in the episode notes. Until next time, a bientôt.